Yo, yo, yo. How's it going? My name is Corbin Ford. You can follow me at Corbin NBA on Twitter. Let me tell you, I love the National Basketball Association, everything about it. And NBA Today gives me the opportunity to talk about it with y'all. The ins, the outs, NBA from all angles, from current hot topics to flashbacks in the NBA's past to literally everything in between. And yes, that includes NBA Twitter. NBA Today is the show for the hoop junkies on hoop ball. Check it out. NBA Today with Corbin Ford. I look forward to talking with y'all real soon. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. For a really long time, I've wanted to open a show with that ridiculous, ridiculous opening that Robin Williams uses in Mrs. Doubtfire, but I don't think I can pull it off. I believe he says, yo, 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 and a wicked cup of cocoa. It's the most ridiculous. Anyway, someday, you guys know, you heard it here. At some point, way down the line, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to really put my ass into it. And um, that'll probably be the last day of the podcast at that point. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. Because there's no fantasy, I am Dan Pesperus. This is a HoopBall presentation. Hoop-Ball.com. I lied, by the way. There is fantasy. It's just DFS, and I don't fully understand it. Luckily, we have a crack team of experts that do. Santino, Cocon, David Benkoff have your DFS Today episode dropped last night at about 10 p.m. Pacific time. And David also put together a corresponding written piece that really breaks down the whole captain's format and how to build a a roster there's something I think listening to the podcast these guys are so good and then there's something really nice to having that written companion to go along with it so you can kind of visualize what the guys are talking about the written piece by the way normally part of the premium pass here at HoopBall but of course such a thing does not exist during the playoffs this year so it's out for free as long as the playoffs persist and as long as there are DFS cards those guys just doing a wonderful job as per usual uh, J.C. DeLeon over on the Hoopball Lakers feed had a uh, breakdown yesterday of the game on Sunday. That was kind of fun. And then this is the one I am perhaps most enthused about. Our good buddy from over at VEASAN, Jonathan Von Tobel, was on with Ira Silver in an episode of Today in Sports Betting that dropped yesterday in the evening around 7 or 8 p.m. Pacific time. Ira and uh, JVT having a wonder. I mean, it's just a great show. Betting tips from an absolute monster in the industry uh you got to go check that out we, we have such a great relationship with the guys over at Vison, and so a massive thank you to jvt for popping on today in sports betting you guys have heard me promo that show you really have to do it because at this point if you're listening to my show take my first piece of advice every day and go listen to our shows that can win you money right now dfs and sports betting they are out there they are just there waiting for you Got another sweet episode of Today in Sports Betting dropping later today. Devin and Paul Carr will make sure to promo that on Twitter as well. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Please do give me a follow and hit me up if you want to join our team at HoopBall. We are continuing to recruit specifically in the sports betting and sales department. So bug me if those are your areas of expertise. Bug me even if they're not. We can almost always find something for a passionate sports fan who uh, has some skill to do over here. 
Uh, big thank you to ExpressVPN, our new sponsor. We told you about them on yesterday's podcast. Uh, we're not going to go through the whole spiel again today, but check them out at expressvpn.com slash hoopball. And, of course, I will remind you about our other two partners as we move through today's show. Generally, what we're going to be doing today is breaking down Lakers Nuggets coming up tonight. There was no basketball game yesterday, so all the stuff we talked about on yesterday's podcast remains accurate with nothing really throwing a wrench into it. All we've had the last 24 hours since yesterday's podcast is is Brad Stevens and Eric Spolster complimenting each other. It's gross. Even if it's fake, I want to hear some rage. There's a little bit of bad blood between the Lakers and the Nuggets. It has dissipated a bit. I'll admit that. I think, I mean, if you think back to... If you think back to the regular season this year, and and perhaps more so last year, the Lakers and Jamal Murray kind of got into it a few times. But it seems like, well, the Lakers got a lot better season over season, so they didn't really have to wade into those little petty wars. Jamal Murray got a lot better, so he didn't really have to wade into that stuff. And Jamal Murray, it seems like he actually grew up quite a bit year over year. He just seems like a more mature basketball player now. And so you put all that stuff together, and I think a lot of what was sort of a beef between Murray and the Lakers has kind of gone away. And you've seen a lot of the same kind of stuff, where other than Dwight Howard, who's basically been tasked with being a heel in this series and just irritating He's, he's channeling his inner Draymond Green, trying to irritate Jokic. And to his credit, he's actually done the best job of anybody on the Lakers of getting under Jokic's skin and slowing him down a little bit. Other than Dwight Howard, this has been an, a, a little bit of a love fest on this side as well. Jokic talking about how LeBron and AD are fantastic, and the Lakers have talked about how unbelievably difficult it is to guard and, and slow down Nikola Jokic and how many things that, that the Nuggets can do. It's a lot of complimenting going on in the playoffs. And I wonder, before we dive into the actual breakdown of tonight's ballgame, I wonder which of these two factors that pertains to, or potentially both. Factor number one is, are we at a point now where teams are so worried about being locker room whiteboard fodder that they just won't say anything at all? to irritate the opposition. That, like, LeBron... I mean, it's it's the Michael Jordan thing, right? The the meme from uh, Last Dance, which, by the way, was hilarious, that everybody was talking about how Jordan saying, and I took offense to that, about almost every single thing. He was just manufacturing these little wars that didn't exist so that he could have this extra chip on his shoulder. And now teams aren't really allowing their opposition to do that stuff. So, you know, LeBron lost the MVP vote to the MVP vote to, to Giannis, as as he should. Giannis had a better regular season than LeBron did. The, you know, the storylines around what LeBron have done has done with the Lakers makes him potentially a more important player right now, he, you know, as leadership goes. But that's not what the award is right is for. On the metrics alone, that's Giannis's award. And he won it, and that's fine. But, you know, LeBron has every right to be irritated, and if that's what it takes to get him fired up a little bit extra for a ball game, then awesome. I mean, that's that's good news for LeBron and the Lakers. You try not to do these types of things. You try not to do the things that can get another team fired up. But I'm inclined to believe that, in actuality, the reason we're seeing this, and this is more than seasons past. I know what you're gonna. I know what you guys are thinking right now, which is, 
Dan, these teams are always like there's a lot of love in the NBA these days. You don't have the traditional hatred of the 1980s or whatever you know we want to go back to in the NBA. Even though the Heat are, by all accounts, of every team that came to the bubble, the Heat are sort of the the angry team. You know, Jimmy Butler famously saying he's not down there to make friends. Udonis Haslam has said the same thing. Bam Adebayo said the same thing. The Heat are down there to to kick ass and take names. And yet, even still, they're exchanging pleasantries, or their coaching staffs are at least, and, and complimenting what the other teams are doing and what the other teams are capable of doing. I actually think that it's this, I think it's 2020. I think it's everything that's gone on this year. You know, it's COVID that has forced these teams to play in an isolated bubble, which I'm sure before the family started to show up was feeling pretty empty. Handful of players and staff on each team on this large Disney campus. Some of these teams were alone in hotels for a little bit. I think there's that. I think there's the racial injustice aspect to it where at the end of each game these teams do kind of feel like they're as soon as that last horn sounds they're kind of back to being on the same team again and you've seen a lot of that a lot of that which makes it hard for me to get irritated at it I want these playoffs to be angry I want them to be dog fights I want these teams to hate each other at the end of it but then this year's just sort of different and I think we have to get used to that, at least for right now. And for the reasons mentioned this year, it's okay. Next year, I want everybody getting pissed again. I want to hear the the jousting. This year, all we're getting is, is the Phil Jackson-style uh, referee analysis at the end of each ballgame. And I got to say, it probably worked. The Nuggets lobbied hard after game one, which, by the way, kind of funny. Again, I'll go back to what we talked about on yesterday's show. Sort of amusing to hear the Nuggets talk about the Lakers getting a, an extraordinarily favorable whistle in game one, even though there were actually more fouls called on the Lakers in game one than the Nuggets. And I know it swung a little bit during garbage time, but it was basically a dead heat. Lakers shot nine more free throws than the Nuggets did. It wasn't like it was like 35 to 10. It was 37 to 28 free throws attempted in that game. It was just one really awkward quarter where the Lakers took two dozen free throws and none of us could bear to watch the ball game because it slowed down so much. Well, you know, in the series right now, the Nuggets have actually taken more free throws than the Lakers after two games. So that all evened out pretty quickly. Anyway, point is, it still works. I haven't heard the Lakers talk about it at all, and I haven't heard much about it after Game 2. I think maybe both teams feel like, all right, we're even out now. Let's uh, let's just go to work. Quick recap of what we talked about on yesterday's podcast with respect to this Lakers-Nuggets series. Um, from a schematic standpoint, the Nuggets changed what they were doing in the third quarter, and they slowed the Lakers down. They didn't allow LA to get out in transition, at least not very often, not certainly to the the uh, frequency that they had early. But on top of that, they really didn't allow the Lakers to get anywhere near the rim. They were able to move bodies around. They were able to bring extra guys. They were able to pack the paint, which is sort of like the simplistic way to describe it. But it's what Miami did to Giannis, and it's what most teams try to do in the postseason to an opponent that they don't believe is a great 
is built of creators. The Lakers, for all of the weapons they do have, Anthony Davis is one of the best players in the NBA. LeBron is one of the best players in the NBA. They don't have a ton of guys that can create and then finish their own stuff. It's pretty much those two guys. And for AD, he's a big man, so it's sort of a different dynamic. He's not going to go around too many guys. And if you pack the paint on him, he's not going to slither through players. He doesn't have the speed to deal with that. He does have the range to deal with that, and that's what we saw in Game 2 was really the only offense the Lakers could muster in the fourth quarter was Anthony Davis taking jump shots. And it worked, barely, barely worked. But the rest of these guys, you know, LeBron has obviously become a lot better as a shooter over his entire career, but he's not a great shooter, never has been, and he never will be. He wants to sort of take the lid off the rim by getting right to the bucket, and then the other stuff comes from that. It's what he's able to do in the first quarter of Game 2 on Sunday was get to the rim, get a few easy ones, and then knock down a few tougher ones because, you know, you got a rhythm going. There is something psychologically to seeing the basketball go through. You just sort of feel like you're in the flow. Uh, the rest of the Lakers can't do that type of stuff. You know, Kuzma is not really a creator. He's more of a slasher, at least at this point. Caruso, he can finish, but he's got to be on the move and he's got to be coming downhill. Danny Green, not a creator. KCP. Rondo is the only other guy on the team you'd call a little bit of a creator, but he's not a finisher anymore. Not at this age. He was never great at it, but he was always decent. He could get those weird kind of quick-release, leaning, backhanded layups to go. He doesn't have that speed anymore. There's a lot more flipping and around people that happens as he approaches the rim, so that's not happening. Rondo only played 21 minutes in Game 2, and he may, that might be the number for him because right now he's a liability where he was creating and able to execute sort of gimmick defenses against the Rockets in a much better way, just a veteran mind defensively on the court. What he's bringing to the Lakers right now is exclusively the uh, 10 to 12 minutes LeBron James is resting most of these games. He can bring the ball into the front court and make some passes and work off of screens. It's not going to be great, but it is going to be better than if they didn't have that backup point guard option. But where Rondo was effective against the Rockets and what allowed him to stay on the floor for so long was that he was, in a lot of ways, responsible for the kind of freak double teams they were sending at James Harden and picking the times to do them and moving guys around on, on what was kind of a cockamamie zone, semi-zone defense for the Lakers. They can't do those things against the Nuggets. They'll just get picked apart. The Nuggets have a few things the Rockets don't. Well, where Houston had one superstar who one-on-one -on -one would just obliterate everyone. And there was just nothing the Lakers could do. Harden would score basically every single time down the floor if they didn't take the ball out of his hands. He stood around once they got the ball out of his hands. Harden became sort of a non-factor. If, if the Lakers do that type of thing to Jamal Murray... They have Jokic, who's uh, a brilliant passer. They have Grant, who can go to the rim. They have Millsap, who can go to the rim. They have Dozier, who actually played well go, uh, go, to go to the rim. I don't see Gary Harris doing a ton of rim attacking in this series, but they have a few guys on that team that are 
a little bit bigger. And it's funny that that's become such a critical thing. Houston just didn't have any size at all. It's why Jeff Green had a couple of decent ball games for the Rockets because he was literally the only guy on the floor that the Lakers had to respect both a three-point shot and a drive besides James Harden. The rest of those guys, they weren't worried. Eric Gordon can drive and he can draw contact, but dude's like six foot two. Lakers had AD in there. Lakers had, at times, early in the series, JaVale and Dwight. Well, Dwight didn't play in, in that series. They had JaVale in there briefly. Even LeBron. Like, LeBron is big enough to guard Eric Gordon going to the paint. LeBron is not real. I mean, obviously, he's a giant human being. But Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, those are guys that can get shots off near the rim over most of the Lakers, not named or not playing center, basically. Not AD, not JaVale, not Dwight. Those are the guys that can contest at that point. So, if the Lakers get into a scramble drill against the Nuggets, Denver just sends guys to the rim. And they're getting looks, or the Lakers sag in, and then they get looks from the perimeter. They can't do that type of gimmicky stuff. It has to be a different type of defense. And right now, the metrics show the Lakers defensively are not good with Rondo on the floor in this series. They have been bad. It's, it's among their worst defensive lineups. In fact, I think their four worst frequently used lineups defensively all have Rondo in them. And he only played 22 minutes in game one where he was getting up around 30 against the Rockets. So to the Lakers' credit, I think they know that they can't use as much Rondo in this series. The reason I bring this up is because Denver effectively packed the paint against L.A., and that creates even more reason to get Rondo off the floor. The Lakers have to figure out how to position their guys more effectively. Rondo hanging out by himself in a corner is the, the Lakers aren't going to be able to score when they're going four on five, basically. Because they're just not they're not worried about his three-point shot. They'll let him take it. He made one. He made a big one in that last ball game. But where Houston, I think, just continued... They, they, like, they gave up on some of their strategies quickly. I don't think Denver's going to play that way because they're closing out on these other guys and they're not as worried about the dudes that aren't going to hit the shots. The Lakers need to have shooters on the floor around their key guys. I think you'll probably see a fair amount of that in this ballgame. Danny Green, I think you'll he'll get about as many minutes as he can handle. KCP, you can see his minutes trending back up again. His size, his shooting, that's been more important for them. And you'll probably see, if I had to guess, LeBron James playing more like 38 or 39 minutes instead of 36. I don't think they can afford to have him off the floor as long. That said, Lakers were actually better in that last ball game, Anthony Davis was the key guy for them. And he played 39 minutes. They knew they couldn't keep him off the floor very long. Kudos, by the way. Frank Vogley played that game to win. He didn't screw around the way that we saw, like, Coach Bud do. He didn't make those adjustments. And on the Denver side, same thing. They played Jamal Murray 44 damn minutes because the second they took him off the floor, the Lakers could completely change the way they played defensively. They just weren't worried about guys. They knew they had the big men to deal with it, and they could go try to get the ball out of Jokic's hands, say, hey, someone else go try to beat us here. When that someone else isn't Jamal Murray, it probably has to be Michael Porter Jr., and they're just not super concerned about that because they can attack him at the other end. I say all of these things, and, and this, this 
sort of, I guess it's a semi-recap of that game on Sunday and what we talked about on yesterday's podcast, because as we now look towards Game 3, it becomes, from a wagering standpoint, we're guessing what these two teams are going to do between games. It's not, I mean, it's not a, a, a total shot in the dark. We aren't just pulling ideas out of the sky at random. There are, I think, relatively clear and predictable uh, adjustments that the two teams will probably make. I think the Lakers... They're kind of on the hook first. What I mean by that is the Nuggets outplayed the Lakers by a lot. They outscored the Lakers by basically 15 points over the last roughly 16, 17 minutes of that ballgame. Lakers can't allow that type of deficiency to persist over any time, really. So if I had to guess, the Lakers spent the entire time between games looking at what Denver did from the middle of the third quarter until basically the end of the ballgame and figuring out the right way to counter it. To LA's credit, they began to figure it out at the very end. At the very end of the basketball game. And the reason that they were able to figure out at that point was twofold. Most importantly... The lineup had both LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor. Okay, that's that's fairly critical in sort of figuring out the best way to do it because they had guys that were then had what they you refer to as gravity on the basketball court, guys that are pulling players towards them. Also important is that the Lakers fixed their spacing, and that might be even the bigger point of the two. There are pictures floating around of what the Nuggets were doing and what the Lakers were not doing in the third and early fourth quarter that showed the Lakers basically had LeBron with the basketball on one side of the floor and either zero or one player on one side and everybody else on the other, three or four guys all on on one side of the floor, which allowed the Nuggets to... Uh, defend these plays fairly easily. You know, they could they could line up a wall for LeBron. And by the time he was able to make a pass out of it, those guys were able to recover because the Lakers were too damn close together. A pass didn't help very much. What the Lakers figured out how to do, really, I mean, it was like the last 90 seconds they finally figured out the right way to counter what Denver was doing. LeBron needed to make the passes earlier. Basically, he needed to make the passes while Denver's guys were still moving towards him, not allowing them to already start their scramble drill. And then the the next Laker has to make the right decision as well. It's sort of a generally a two, either a one pass and a fake or a two pass situation. And then they got open looks. There there was a play with about a minute left where the Lakers, where LeBron drew a double team. There were two other guys moving towards him. LeBron kicked it out to KCP, who should have gone to the corner. Danny Green was in the corner. Alex Caruso had actually been 
cutting towards the rim, and that extra defender moved towards Caruso. I'm actually, I found the picture right now. Uh, For the Nuggets, Jamal Murray and and P.J. Dozier were trying to guard three Lakers. They were trying to guard KCP, Danny Green, and Alex Caruso, who were all on one side of the floor. But instead of all three of them lining up at the three-point line, Caruso went to the rim, which brought one of those guys down. He had to stay with him, and that left Jamal Murray to try to guard two Lakers who were a, a solid 20 feet apart. You can't do it. KCP made the wrong decision. Instead of kicking into the corner to a wide-open green, he drove uh, and took a long two. But ultimately, it worked. The play worked. It, it got the Lakers an opportunity at a wide-open shot. They ran a similar thing towards the end of the ballgame. That got Caruso the wide-open three that rimmed out, and then Anthony Davis hit the game winner that saved their butts. So the Lakers have already started to make their adjustments on offense. For the Nuggets, what they were doing has been working. So I think you'll see them run something similar here because the Lakers never really showed that they could get what they wanted. They got those two, they ran those two plays, basically. That's that's basically all they got out of it. And it only worked because LeBron, as per usual, kind of began to see things and make that right pass. But it also relies on other Lakers to make the right decision. If you're Denver, I think you continue to put the pressure on the non-superstar Lakers, to make those right decisions. KCP is not a great decision maker. He's played well in the playoffs, basically after a terrible game one. He's been pretty good for them. But decisions-wise, it's not his strong suit. Danny Green, pretty good decision maker. Caruso, uh, much better than I expected from a decision-making standpoint. But they're not LeBron. So put the pressure on those guys. Put the pressure on Anthony Davis, potentially, to make a good decision. So I think you'll see more of that. Uh, you might see Dwight Howard early in the ball game. Having him out on the floor with these guys does actually create space because the rest of these dudes were not hanging out near the bucket. Also, it creates offensive rebounding opportunities because Denver generally scrambling, lining up to stop LeBron, it allows guys to move in and kind of work behind them. Defensively, for the Lakers, the adjustment has to be what they do with Nikola Jokic. It has to be. Because whatever the Lakers are trying on Jokic in the post right now is not working. It's not working. I don't know what they do. I don't. That's why there was a pause there. I don't, I don't have the X's and O's to figure out what they're doing with that. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast, the idea of having someone bigger on Jamal Murray and kind of daring him to beat that slightly larger player one-on-one, as opposed to working through Jokic in the post, and maybe that's an option. Or is there something they can do to get the ball out of Jokic's hand once he's in the post, and who can you trust on that Denver team to miss if you're the Lakers? Because you might be then saying, look, we're going to give someone on Denver, hopefully not a wide-open three-pointer, but a, a not-too-heavily-contested three-pointer. And if that's the case, you probably don't want it to be Jamal Murray. <laughs> right? What, what are these other guys capable of? How good are these dudes at shooting the three-ball? Jamal Murray actually was only a 35% three-point shooter during the regular season, but he has really ramped it up in the playoffs. Gary Harris, 33%. Jeremy Grant, 39 Millsap, 44. Monty Morris, 38. So you don't want those guys doing it. Michael Porter, 42. P.J. Dozier, 35. You're you're 
your guy there is probably Gary Harris. But I don't think that's what the Lakers do. I don't think they're going to allow someone to get an open three-pointer. At least I don't think they, they want that. So all of this rolls together. All of this rolls together now to put us to this thought process. Did the Lakers figure out the counter to Denver's defensive rotations? Did the Lakers figure out that Denver was, I think the term is pre-rotating, meaning they were moving guys over kind of before things happened, which made LeBron's job unbelievably difficult. He would, They just were not going to let him get to the rim. And can LeBron excel where Giannis could not? Making the passes at the right time in the right moment. And then can those other guys do something with it? Does it open up paths to the rim as Denver's scrambling? Does it open up wide open three-pointers? Is that the direction Lakers go? Either way, if you're the Lakers, you probably try to attack this early and see if that's still what Denver's doing. Or if they've changed what they're doing at the beginning of the ballgame, and then do you kind of go back to what you were doing before? So there's going to be this feel-out, I believe, at the very beginning of the ballgame. I think both teams are going to be feeling out, all right, what is this team going to do to us right now? And then there's the cat and mouse aspect of it. You know, if you're the Lakers, do you show your your hand, what you want to do with Jokic at the beginning of the ballgame? Probably not. You probably save some of your moves until later in the ballgame. So there's going to be this weird combination of feeling it out and cat and mouse. And what that tells me is that, and I know we got a bit long-winded on this discussion, but it's the only game tonight, so what the hell. What it tells me is that I think at the beginning, at least, the Lakers are going to continue to try to push. They get their best shots when they don't have to worry about the cat and mouse and the adjustments and all that stuff. Get out and run. And they've done a good job of that in this series so far. Not great, but good. I think Denver's probably going to run their usual stuff. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic pick and roll. Do the Lakers just defend it straight up the way they had been in the past early in the ballgame and just sort of see what happens? I think probably. So I feel like early in this game, you're going to see mostly just the two teams kind of trading slap fights. Each team's just going to sort of slap the other a little bit, and you're not going to see the big haymakers thrown until the second half. So I'm inclined to believe that the game gets off to a pretty good clip and probably slows down as you go. I think the teams probably shoot better because I don't think the Lakers go through an intense dry spell like the one they had late in game two. I don't know how the free throw numbers turn, but I also think the turnovers for both teams are lower. These two teams combined for 42 turnovers in game two. I like Denver to keep it close again. I don't think there's any way the Lakers just run away with it, although I do think that they, I think they have an opportunity to be a little bit tougher. It's not a side I'm making a play on. And I kind of like the over, because the last game, the total was 216. It went under by eight points, even though the pace was telling us that that game probably should have been at about 225. And this one, the total came down to 213.5. It's at 214 now. It's kind of been bouncing back and forth between those two numbers. If the pace stays even close to what game two was, the game should go over. Because... There shouldn't be 42 turnovers. That number should be down closer to 30. And even if it's like 35, it's probably still enough to get it to 214 from 208. Give me six or seven extra possessions from the two teams where they get a shot off. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do think the pace probably comes down just a little bit. 
but uh, again, I think the Lake, I think both teams would rather not have to slow it down and, and slog their way against a set defense. You know what you saw in that last game that was really interesting is Jamal Murray letting the ball roll towards half court before picking it up because he wanted to make sure he had as many ticks on the shot clock as possible when they got into their offense. And this is the case with a lot of teams in the playoffs. It takes a few seconds. Teams have a counter for your first or second try. You got to go to your third, fourth things on offense. And if you only have 17 seconds on the shot clock when you start that, you're going to run out of time and get a bad look. Of course, the game clock is running while that's happening for the most part, even if the shot clock is not. So you're actually getting longer possessions than 24 seconds at times because the you know the the nuggets in particular are extending their plays it's weird so that's actually pulling the pace down a little bit desire for both teams to get some quick looks pulling the pace up a little bit my take is i don't see how these two teams commit 42 turnovers again i have a lean to the over in this game i'll probably put a very small amount on that pre-contest and then we'll of course be watching it for anything we can do in game on that uh, on that ball game. These numbers brought to you by our buddies at mybookie.ag. Head there now. Open up a new account with promo code HoopBall. It unlocks promos if you want to use them. A 100% deposit match bonus is one of those promos. The code HoopBall unlocks. If you're planning on wagering for a while, it's a great way to do it. There are rollover requirements on the deposit match. Uh, which again, uh, you know, if you're going to be slowly grinding out winners over the long term, that's a wonderful way to do it. If you want to get in and get out, just skip using the promo. Put in our code, which unlocks this stuff. You can use it later if you want, and then make your deposit and don't do the promo. I don't care which way you go. Either way, just do it. Our guys over at Hoopball Gaming are getting you winners. Brew and myself here on the NBA, we're getting you guys winners and breakdowns on these games every single day. This is a wonderful time in the bubble where there just aren't other factors to worry about that we've been we've been cashing tickets like crazy. For me, I only put a couple bucks on most of these bets. Five, ten bucks, most of the things I'm betting, and just slowly grind it out. Three, four, five games over 500 every couple of weeks. There's an extra 30, 40 bucks, whatever it is. You can go bigger, you can go smaller. For me, mentally, when I go bigger, it screws up my handicapping. So most of my bets are relatively small because it keeps my head on straight. Just something I've learned about myself over the last 12 years of betting. I can't go big or I start to sort of double-cross my own brain. Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. All right, that's about it. Oh, no, that's not it. I got to shout out our buddy Adam King. Adam King... Uh, one of our favorites in the biz. He's the assistant managing editor for HoopBall these days, which is fantastic. He's got a new thing, a little new segment he's doing on Twitter, and I want to shout it out here because it's so funny. It's the HoopBall Fantasy Time Machine, where he looks back in history at blurbs and other pieces of news that have come out in the fantasy world on this date. So it's not like big things that have happened. It's basically things that we at some point thought were relevant and then looking back now, they all seem so completely absurd. It, it's just so funny. Uh, last year on this date, September the 22nd, there was, quote, some optimism in league circles about KD's chances of playing this year, according to Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Whoops. Not only did he not play, but 
The season is going into October, and he won't end up playing. 2018, Kyrie Irving denied rumors that he and Jimmy Butler want to team up in New York and hinted that he would like to stay in Boston for years. Well, he did go to New York. Jimmy Butler's in Miami. 2018, also, Omer Ashik is out indefinitely with inflammatory arthritis with no timetable on a return. The humanity! And 2017, maybe this is the winner of the bunch. The Sixers plan on showcasing Jaleel Okafor for potential trade suitors during the preseason. Yeah, good luck with that. That was a process misfire. Ja. Uh, I thought that was so funny. You can follow Adam King on Twitter, by the way, at AdamKing91. And you can read these things before I drop them. He put them out in the middle of the night here on uh, on the Pacific Coast. Uh, those things are so funny. The, he had one from yesterday as well. Go check those out. I, I think he'll be doing it most days when he has time for it. And we'll try to bring them up here on the podcast when we have time for it as well. Go check out Manscaped.com as our last thing before we wrap this thing up. Go get yourself a lawnmower 3.0. It's brilliant. It's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful tool. Pinch-free technology, built-in LED lighting, and waterproof ability. You can shave in the shower, clean yourself up with the lawnmower 3.0. Use promo code HOOPBALL20 at Manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Couple very small pieces of NBA news. Raptors unlikely to offer Marcus Gasol more than a one-year deal. Even if they do, I can't imagine he's planning on playing very much. Uh, dude was, was barely mobile by the end of this season. Uh, Chris Dunn has opted out of the Bulls' voluntary offseason program. I don't know if that means anything, if they're trying to move him or what, or if it's just like, it's COVID, man. Let's just, let's just chill. Uh, and those are the only two pieces of NBA news. Again, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you have any questions or want to come work for us here at HoopBall, uh, promo codes once again for our three sponsors, mybookie.ag. The promo code is just the word HoopBall. Manscaped.com, the promo code is HoopBall20. And the website, it's not a promo code, it's an actual site for our buddies over at ExpressVPN. It is that word, expressvpn.com slash HoopBall. Very cool to have three partners here on Fantasy NBA Today for the first time ever. I am Dan Baspris, Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy is done. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Break down the Lakers Nuggets and give you a little Boston and Miami preview. We're back to having a game every day once again after the weird Eastern Conference off day. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.